in God's holy word to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we come now to the end of uh, this letter. And again, today we're looking at these final uh, instructions that the Lord records for us in His holy, infallible, eternal word. Uh, many times uh, when we get to the end of, of one of these epistles, uh, it, it's tempting to just kind of read over the end. And we sort of think that these concluding remarks are, are just kind of like the end. And we just brush through it. Uh, but uh, these really are thrilling, encouraging, and very practical uh, instructions that God has recorded. And uh, we don't want to just um, brush these precious truths off. And so may the Lord come by His Spirit and bless us as we hear now the reading uh, of His very Word. And let's stand together as, as we hear God's Word read. Please stand. First, Corinthians, uh, First Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, beginning in verse 25. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thus ends the reading of God's fear word. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would come now by your Holy Spirit and open your word to us and write it upon our hearts. Lord, you are worthy to be praised and loved and adored. Uh, we cannot save ourselves. We look to you, O Lamb of God. Uh, we cannot keep ourselves. We look to you, O living God, to come by your Spirit and to make our hearts uh, alive anew this day, to trust in you, Lord Jesus, to turn our back on our own sin, to turn our back on the world, uh, and to look to you afresh, clinging to you, giving ourselves anew to you. You are worthy to be praised and loved and followed and adored. And so come and encourage us and build us up. Thank you for your word. Write it upon our hearts. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, last Lord's Day, we began looking at verse 25, uh, the first of these four instructions at the end of 1 Thessalonians. And we saw that this instruction is given to the family of God. Brothers, pray for us. And we spent uh, the whole time last week just uh, reminding ourselves of the privilege 
uh, that we have by the grace of God to be a part of God's family. Well, what is it that we as brothers and sisters are called to do? Brothers, pray for us. Now, this term that is used here for prayer is just the general term for prayer that we see all throughout the New Testament. And why is it uh, that we ought to pray? Uh, why is it that we ought to pray for ourselves and for one another? Well, it's quite simple. God has instructed us to do so. Uh, he has told us that this is something we need, something that is good that we ought to be doing. And what is prayer? And again, I, I would encourage you uh, to take advantage uh, of the catechism, uh, the shorter catechism as well as the larger catechism, because uh, at the end uh, of the catechisms, it has a section talking about prayer and goes through the Lord's Prayer, which is the pattern that Jesus gave us uh, for praying. And that would be a wonderful um, study that you could do on your own and as families. Um, and if you don't have a copy uh, of the confession, um, let me show you what it looks like. We have some available, and uh, I would encourage you to get one and to be going through and just reminding yourself, uh, here's what God says prayer is. Uh, prayer is us talking to God, us praising God, us laying petitions, requests before him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to the one true living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so God has not only instructed us to pray, but we depend upon God. In Psalm 127, uh, the Lord has recorded for us why we pray. Because we depend upon God. We depend upon God for our very existence. And it is proper it is right for us to acknowledge our dependence upon God just for our physical being and also for the ability to accomplish anything in Psalm 127 verse 1 unless the Lord builds the house those who build it labor in vain uh, you want to have uh, uh, success uh, in your endeavors, uh, yourself as a person, your family, uh, your business, uh, whatever you put your hand to, unless the Lord builds those who build labor in vain. The next phrase, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. 
the watchman can be pinching himself all night long. I can't go to sleep. I can't go to sleep. I've got to, I've got to be on the alert. And his eyes are open and he's looking out over the, the, the countryside from the uh, uh, tower that he has occupied to guard this city. But unless the Lord blesses him to catch that movement in the shadows, uh, he will not uh, uh, watch uh, with effectiveness and so we depend upon God and when we are prayerless we are declaring our practical atheism when we are prayerless we are saying in practice I don't really need the living God and even worse than that we are saying God is irrelevant that's what a practical atheist is. And so the Apostle Paul, at the end of this letter, uh, he is reminding us with his own testimony of how he understood he needed the blessing of God. That unless the Lord blessed him and kept him, and unless the Lord blessed the labors of his hand, it would come to nothing. Prayer is that expression of our dependence upon Almighty God. In the book of Hebrews chapter 4, and if you'll turn there with me, uh, we see that because of the righteousness of Jesus, because of his saving work, if we are trusting in him, the throne room of heaven is opened to us. And we have the privilege of coming in to the presence of the one who reigns over every molecule and atom in the universe and having an audience with him, having his ear and he delights to welcome his little children into his presence to receive our praise and to hear our needs. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through this, the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence or boldness draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If you ever find yourself in need of grace, if you ever find yourself in need of God's help, if you ever find yourself in need of the mercy of God, Jesus alone can make us right with the living God and give us access 
into heaven. And if we are trusting in Jesus, the door of heaven is open to us and God bids us to come as his own little children, as we saw last Lord's Day, to have fellowship with him. Uh, it's the picture of a little child coming and running to their, to their parent and, and uttering the words, Daddy, and crawling up into the lap and being welcomed and cared for and hugged. That's the picture that God paints for us. What a privilege it is to pray. And so the Apostle Paul here now at the end is reminding us through his own testimony of the need of prayer. And you remember the Lord Jesus in his earthly ministry. Many times we see that Jesus would often slip away from the disciples and sometimes he would spin. He would lose track of, of time, if you will, and spend the whole night in prayer. When was the last time you lost track of time praying in the presence of the living God? Oh, may the Lord stir us up and deliver us from practical atheism and to be those who delight to be in the throne room glorying in who our God is, laying our praise at his feet, blessing his holy name for his mercy and kindness to not give me what I deserve, which is hell, hell itself. That is what Henry has earned. But Jesus took that upon himself and he gives us the cup of blessing to drink and to enjoy the fullness of his presence. A taste of it now by faith, but in the age to come, when we die, if we die before Jesus ends history, he takes our souls. Where? To his glorious heaven. And we will see Almighty God seated upon his throne in the angelic host praising the living God. And we will see the saints who have gone before joining our voice with them, casting our crowns before the feet of him who reigns. <clears throat> Worthy are you to receive glory and power and honor because you created everything. And by your will they existed and were created. <coughs> Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. May the Lord stir us up to pray. But now specifically, not only do we have a reminder about prayer in general, but notice in verse 25, brothers, pray for us. 
And what was it that the Apostle Paul needed prayer for? Pray for us. Well, if you'll turn with me over to the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, at the end of this second letter, he comes back to this theme of this request that these Christians would pray for him and those uh, uh, elders and others who traveled with him, like Dr. Luke, and like Timothy, and Titus, and on and on. Epaphroditus. Finally, brothers, pray for us. But this time, he doesn't just leave it uh, for us to wonder, well, what are the particulars uh, that he needed prayer for? And God reveals to us some of the specific things. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. The first thing that God wants us to pray is that the gospel would go forth. And notice how it's described here, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead or run swiftly. Here's the picture of, of God turning loose um, uh, uh, those messengers uh, uh, carrying the good news of Jesus and it's the picture you can you think in your mind's eye. You know when the when the the country was first being settled, uh, there were people uh, who rode horses carrying the mail, and it was referred to as the Pony Express. And they didn't, you know, just kind of lollygag, you know, walking from town to town. But it's the picture of of going as fast as they could go uh, from post to post uh, to carry the, the news. Well, that's the picture God paints for us about his word, uh, that this gospel is so good. It's good news that there is hope in this fallen, messed up world. And the hope is Jesus. The hope is his redeeming work on the cross. And the message is a call for people who are caught in the clutches of evil uh, to find rescue in the Lord Jesus Christ, to repent, to turn from their futile war against the King of glory and run to Jesus and make peace with God. Uh, that they no longer uh, are living under the shadow of God's judgment and displeasure, but they can have the smile of God uh, as they repent and believe in Jesus. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. And if you'll turn back to chapter 1, we are reminded of what happened in Thessalonica. Look at chapter 1 in verse 9. 
For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. These people in Thessalonica were worshiping idols. Now, what's an idol? It is a symbol of a false god. And these people in Thessalonica were pagans. Uh, some of them were sophisticated pagans. Uh, they uh, had the, the trappings uh, of religion. Uh, uh, most of them were just outright pagans. Um, uh, they didn't have the facade uh, of being right with God. Uh, they had uh, uh, outright paganism. Uh, but there were people from both groups of those who had sophisticated religion and those who had rank paganism who heard the message of hope and salvation and life in Jesus Christ. And they turned from these worthless idols that could produce and give nothing but chaos and death. And they turned from these idols to the living God and had life in Jesus. They turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. God's judgment is very real. It is coming. God Almighty is a holy, holy, holy God. He hates sin. He will not tolerate sin. And there is only one who can make us right with this God. It is the Lamb of God, the Son of God, who came and took on human flesh and lived a sinless life and died upon the cross. Jesus came to purchase peace and to give us peace so that we no longer war against the living God. Well, let's turn back to the book of Acts. Uh, it's been a while since we uh, looked at uh, the details of the Apostle Paul first coming with the gospel to Thessalonica. But let's look here in Acts chapter 17, verse 1. Acts 17, verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to, the, to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. Um, from the scriptures, he was showing them uh, that uh, God had predicted that Messiah would suffer and then be raised from the dead. Passages 
like Isaiah chapter 53. You can read Isaiah 53 this afternoon. And and, uh, I I can just about assure you that was one of the passages uh, that the Apostle Paul and the other apostles, it's recorded for us in the New Testament that that was one of the texts that the apostles would preach the Lord Jesus from and show and prove that Messiah uh, would suffer and then he would enter into his glory. Or Psalm 22, another passage uh, that teaches that same truth. Messiah was going to come and suffer and die, but death could not hold him and he would be raised from the dead and enter into his glory. Well, he's reasoning with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And that's what we need to be praying for. We need to be praying that God would turn this country upside down. Now, if you're a Christian, it needs to be turned right side up. But if you're a pagan, when you see the gospel going forth and you see men and women repenting of their sin and turning from the paths of perversion and destruction and death, when you see people turning from homosexuality, when you see people turning from transgenderism, when you see people turning from statism and socialism and terrorism, when you see people turning from all of this, it scares the living daylights out of the progressives, out of the pagans who see their worthless idols being exposed as nothing. And it scares them. And they say, the world's being turned upside down. Well, the Christian understands, no, it's being turned right side up. When we see the Lord moving in the hearts of people, and our Supreme Court says, We can't believe how wicked we were to set aside God Almighty's definition of marriage and we repudiate that ruling. Uh, The progressives are going to say, the world's being turned upside down, but Christians are going to be saying, no, it's being turned right side up. Well, keep reading. These are the men who have turned the world upside down. They have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying 
that there is another king, Jesus. Now make no mistake about it, the very best citizens any nation will ever find are God-fearing, Christ-loving followers of the Lamb. You will not find better citizens. But that being said, it is true that Christians have an allegiance to King Jesus as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if the civil authority ask us to believe or do something contrary to the revealed will of King Jesus, we stand like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We stand like Daniel. You can throw us into your fiery furnace, O King Nebuchadnezzar, but we will not bow down. And it is time for God's people to stand for King Jesus. If back in the early 1960s, when King Nebuchadnezzar decreed, you may not read the Bible anymore in your government common schools, if God's people had stood where would we be today? Hmm. We would not be so far down the wrong road that we could not see straight. If God's people, when King Nebuchadnezzar said, you may not pray anymore. If God's people had said, well, <laughs> throw me into your fiery furnace if you will, but I am not going to deny the king. We are like Peter and John in Acts chapters 3, 4, and 5 when the civil authority said, you may not preach anymore in the name of Jesus. What did Peter and John say? Well, you judge whether it's right for us to obey God or men, but we're going to keep on speaking the name of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 5, they were threatened, and they were beaten, and they were charged, do not speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And what did Peter and John say? We must obey God rather than men. And so it is time for God's people uh, to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. Well... There is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily 
to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. And then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there, and those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. And so the Apostle Paul says, pray for us. And in 2 Thessalonians, he says, pray that the word of God will speed forth. And we need to be praying that God's gospel would go forth in this land because if there is going to be any hope for this country continuing to exist, let alone to thrive, there must be national repentance. There must be, by the Spirit of God being poured out, a brokenness before Almighty God that we none of us have ever seen in our, our lifetime. Of people crying out to God for mercy and for forgiveness for living against the living God and turning to Jesus and believing in Him and seeking then to live for Him in their own hearts and in their families being ordered by the Word of God. Husbands and wives picturing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Husbands laying down their lives for their wives. And wives delighting in their bridegroom. Uh, giving uh, a picture of the church's delight in the Lord Jesus Christ to a watching world. Uh, uh, seeking to raise our children and grandchildren in the fear of the Lord, standing in awe of who God Almighty is, uh, delighting to have a, a, a bunch of children uh, raised to love the living God, seeking to honor Jesus in our business dealings. Every institution, every facet of life uh, uh, raising the banner of King Jesus. That's what we're praying for. And that's what happened in Thessalonica. Uh, the Lord turned that place upside down. Everywhere the gospel was going. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Verse 16. The Apostle Paul described this gospel. In verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We've got a country full of people who claim to be Christians, but they've lost their salt. And you know what Jesus said salt that had lost its saltiness was good for? He said it's good for nothing but to be thrown on the manure pile. It is worthless. But when the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of Holy Scripture, comes to a person's heart, it changes them. They become a lover of Jesus. 
They love what Jesus says is true and good and right, and they hate what Jesus says is wicked and false. And they can't continue to walk in darkness. They can't continue to cozy up with the world and say, I'm okay with whatever you want to be or do. No, they are consumed with love for the living God as he reveals himself in Holy Scripture. The Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You know, there's a lot of people who profess to be Christians who are ashamed of the gospel. They're ashamed of what God says is right and wrong. That's part of the gospel. If we had time, we'd go over to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and see that part of the gospel is preaching the standard of righteousness that's summarized in the Ten Commandments. And there are people all over in our country today who profess to be Christians who are ashamed of the Ten Commandments. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to say, this is the standard of right and wrong. But it's the truth. It's what God Almighty says. And the Apostle Paul said, and all those who really know Jesus, we're not ashamed of the gospel. We're not ashamed to say what God says is evil is evil. And to say what God says is good is good. And we're not ashamed to own the name of Jesus. You know, you can tell whether somebody is a real Christian. Do they talk about Jesus? Now, liberal pastors, oh, they'll talk about God. Liberal pastors... Do they talk about sin? Do they talk about repentance? Do they ever mention hell? I don't like to talk about hell, but it's real. And that's what I would have and where I would be apart from the grace of God in Jesus Christ. He has granted his people repentance and faith in Jesus. And the Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. The gospel is all about righteousness. It's about the standard of right and wrong. And when God holds me up to his standard, you know what? It shows me I need a Savior. I need somebody to rescue me because I don't measure up. Like Romans 3 says, all have sinned and, and what? Fall short of the glory of God. I've broken every one of the Ten Commandments in thought, word, and deed. And you have too. And we need a Savior. And the only Savior is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, come in the flesh. And the Apostle Paul asked for these Christians in Thessalonica, pray for us that the gospel of Holy Scripture would go forth. 
The just shall live by faith. It's from faith to faith. The life of a Christian begins with us believing in Jesus, but we never outgrow believing in Jesus. We feed upon Christ. We love Christ. We delight in Jesus. Turn with me in the book of Jude, the little book of Jude. Jude chapter 1. Now, don't turn to Jude chapter 2. Jude chapter 1. I was just seeing if you're awake. Okay. Jude. And notice in verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The faith, it's a body of truth. It is Holy Scripture, the apostolic gospel, that God says the gospel is the truth about Jesus. It is what is recorded for us in Holy Scripture. That's the gospel that we must believe ourselves, that we must teach to our uh, uh, families that we must hold fast to as a congregation and that we must proclaim to the world. I wrote to you, wanted to write about our common salvation, but I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. You have to stand. There were people in Jude's day who wanted to water the gospel down. They wanted to change it. But this gospel, this apostolic gospel, has been delivered once for all time. Once for all time. There's not going to be revisions. There's not going to be addendums added. There's not going to be other truths added. God says, this body of truth, the Holy Scriptures, that is what we are to contend for. We're to take our stand and say, do with me as you see fit, but I will not deny this Jesus. I will not turn to the right or to the left by the grace of God. This is the truth of Almighty God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Once for all time, delivered to the saints. Look at verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into licentiousness, into sensuality. They take the gospel and they remove God's content. They still have the shell. They may talk about the terms, but they've poured poisonous content into those terms. And they're passing that out. And God says, no, no. God's people are to contend for the faith of Holy Scripture. The body of truth that God has given to us. And this explains 
how we got where we are. How is it that still over 70% of the people of the United States of America profess to be Christians and we now have laws on the books that say sodomy is okay? How? I'll tell you how. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ for generations quit contending for the faith of Holy Scripture and replaced the gospel of Holy Scripture with a counterfeit gospel. Turn with me to the book of Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Verse 6, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. There is only one gospel. And God says that we must pray for ourselves that God would keep us believing in the Jesus of the Bible. Because he's the only Jesus who can save. He's the only real Jesus. There's a lot of make-believe gospels that are floating around. And God says we need to pray. We need to pray for ourselves that God would give us his blessed Holy Spirit to have discernment that we would not be led astray. We need to pray that God would bless the pulpits of this land to be aflame with the gospel according to Holy Scripture, not the man-made, synthetic, poisonous gospel that takes people to hell. And that's what's going on. Our country is going to hell, is hurtling toward the abyss. Over 64 million little unborn babies have been put to death in their mother's womb since 1973 in this country. How can it be? The church quit believing and preaching the gospel according to Holy Scripture. And the Apostle Paul said, brothers, pray for us. Pray that the word of God the gospel of Holy Scripture would run speedily. Well, we're going to stop there. Um, you need to know this gospel. Uh, you need to hold fast to this gospel. And you need to understand that there is an army of false teachers at work in our land, in our day. And we're going to talk more as we look at 2 Thessalonians. We're just getting started talking about what the Apostle Paul said he needed prayer for. 
but it is that we would hold fast and that we would support and that we would defend and take our stand, ourselves, our families, our congregation, on this gospel, the gospel of Holy Scripture, and that we would not be ashamed of the gospel. Uh, It's time for us to say, look, uh, you can throw me in your fiery furnace, but I am not going to shrink back from this gospel. It is time for the congregations of this land, uh, for the men to take off their skirts and stand up and be men and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Brothers, pray for us. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would have mercy upon us. Lord, uh, in the days of the apostles, uh, there was the need for the gospel to go forth. And Lord, in our day, uh, there is great darkness in our land. Lord, there is great darkness in this community. There is great darkness in many, many homes. And Lord Jesus, only you can deliver from evil. And so, Lord, look down from heaven and press this gospel, your gospel, the truth about the living Savior upon our own hearts, upon our homes, upon our church family. Lord, keep this pulpit faithful to you. Lord, don't let uh, uh, me or uh, the the other elders here uh, turn away from you. Oh, Lord, we declare as the Apostle Paul uh, that if we or Uh, Anybody else shows up preaching a gospel contrary uh, from Holy Scripture. Uh, We ought uh, to be under your anathema, the eternal damnation uh, of your judgment. And so, Lord God, have mercy upon us. We beg for a house cleaning in our land. And Lord, we just lay ourselves at your feet and we say, Lord, begin in my heart. Begin in my home. Begin, Lord, in this congregation. And do that, Lord, for the praise of your name and capture the people of this land, Lord, to repent of sin, of living against you, And to turn to you, O Lamb of God, the only Savior. Brothers, pray for us. In Jesus we pray. Amen.